welcome to Horizon Community Church. We are so glad you are here today. Or if you're tuning in online live, you can be in your pajamas, which is really awesome. I wish I could do that myself. Um, if you will join us in singing, the words will be on the screen, or you can follow along at home. The first song we're going to do is Ever Be. Love is a road and 
it didn't because I really wouldn't have been able to make it through. But that is so true. God never lets us down, even though our circumstances are all over the place. And from our finite view of the world and of God, sometimes we feel like he lets us down. I didn't plan on saying this, but over a year ago, we had a miscarriage, and I was heartbroken. We desperately want children. And I really thought in that moment, God let us down. Like, how could you do that? But through it all, he does not. He comes in when you are broken and you are hurting, and he will meet you in those moments, and they are beautiful moments. And through it all, he doesn't let you down. Our one of the main ways that Satan attacks us, I feel like, is in our trust in God. Because if we don't trust God, then nothing else matters. We won't take steps of faith for him. We won't do anything for him if we don't trust him. And so I feel like that's one of the main and first things that Satan attacks us in. But know whatever you're facing, whatever you're doing, God will never let you down. You can trust him. Um, this next song is Unstoppable God. It is a really awesome fast song so if you want to stand sing with us um the words are going to be on the screen and it's just i feel like this is a good anthem for us this is sadly our last sunday in the ardmore music hall we have been so grateful and appreciative to meet here but god is doing great things and he's allowed us to find a place that will allow us to go weekly that we can afford and so starting in april we're going to have um sunday night services um, weekly. So if you'll stand and sing this song with us.
give the band another round of applause. They did a great job. Man, I love that Unstoppable God song. So this morning we're starting a new series called Practical Christianity. And I want to start off with a simple question. Like, what does it look like to be a Christian? What does it look like to be a Christian? And if you ask somebody on Sunday, what does it look like to be a Christian? They probably describe something like this, right? They might not describe this exact setting. It may be more formal, but... They would probably describe something like this. They might describe music, worshiping God. They might describe a message from the Bible. They might describe coming together to celebrate Jesus. But what does Christianity look like on a Monday or at 3 a.m.? Is there more to Christianity than simply saying, I affirm a certain set of beliefs or I agree to a religious creed? Doesn't Christianity demand more than simply saying, I believe something and then going about my life however I want? We've all heard this argument, right? The biggest argument against Christianity is Christians who say they believe one thing and live a different way. We've probably had problems with Christians who say they believe something and then live a different way. And so most of us understand what Christianity looks like on Sunday, but when it comes to Monday through Saturday, a lot of times we don't really know what it's supposed to look like or what we're supposed to be doing. And I think that we have tens of thousands of Christians in America who regurgitate religious facts, but they don't have a relationship with Jesus and they don't live or love like he did. Now, in the Eastern culture where Jesus was, in Israel, the, the idea about knowledge was very different than we think about it in the West. So in Eastern cultures, knowledge always had this degree of experience to it. You didn't truly know something until you had experienced it. You could read all the books in the world about carpentry, but until you built something, you really didn't know carpentry. In America, we think of knowledge as purely academic, and I think we brought that over into our spiritual lives as well, and we think as long as we know a lot about God, it's okay if we don't look like God. But that's what James talks about here. This is the very thing that he talks about, and he condemns, and he talks about what it looks like to really know Jesus by experiencing Jesus and living and loving like he did. Now, Carl Jung was a philosopher, and what he says, uh, something he said was, you are what you do, not what you say. And I think a lot of people say they're Christians, but nothing in their life reflects Christ. The early Christians were called Christians because the word means little Christ. They were essentially called that because people said, you look and act like Jesus did. And it was almost a term of mocking them at the time. But today, many times, we take the term Christian when we don't look or act anything like Jesus. Jesus would much rather us be obedient than knowledgeable. He would much rather us obey the things that he has taught than know everything that he's taught and not do any of it. Knowing all the theology in the world doesn't do any good if you don't live a healthy theology every day of your life with the people in your family, the people in your workplace, and the people in your community. Now this disconnect between what we believe and what we practice is exactly in contrast to what Jesus taught. The gospel was an invitation into a spiritual kingdom. Jesus came and he says, I have good news. I didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to rescue the world, to save us from the destructive things that all of us do. And he invites us into this life in relationship with him. He invites us into this kingdom where Jesus becomes our Lord and Master and it begins to transform our lives and the world around us as we invite others to join us 
in this kingdom. See, Jesus taught a whole life gospel, not a Sunday morning gospel, not just a future when you die gospel, but a gospel that applies Monday through Saturday right now. And the book of James talks about this contrast and conflict between saying we believe something and then actually living it out. So you say, okay, who, who was James? Why do we care what he had to say? James was the half-brother of Jesus. So Jesus was born of Mary, um, but James was the son of Joseph and Mary, and he grew up actually rejecting Jesus. It actually tells us about this in the Bible that he didn't believe that Jesus was the, was the Messiah. Can you imagine being the brother of Jesus growing up? You know, I don't know about you with your siblings, but I would often blame my siblings for things. And I'd be like, Rachel did it. Micah did it. That's my brother and sister. And uh, can you imagine James? He'd be like, Jesus did it. And Mary would be like, there's no way Jesus did it. I know Jesus didn't do it. And he's like, he really did it. And, you know, Jesus is just probably sitting over there praying, you know. And, and Mary's like, no, we know Jesus didn't do it. It was you, James. And so it's probably really frustrating. And so James grew up rejecting Jesus as Messiah. When Jesus began to teach and preach, he was rejected by James. But something happened. After Jesus rose from the dead, James became a believer. There's something about your dead brother coming back to life, and you're like, man, maybe he is the Messiah. You know, that, that convinced me. And James actually became a leader, according to the book of Acts, in the church at Jerusalem, which was the largest early Christian church. They ran several thousand people. And so James became this important leader. Paul talks about him in his writings and how he uh, respects James and learns from James. And he was an important leader in the Jewish church, early Jewish Christian church in Jerusalem. And so here's what James says, starting in James chapter 1, verse 1. It says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to them. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. They are double-minded and unstable in all their ways. Now, James doesn't debate theology or discuss obscure issues in his letter. He literally just jumps right into practical Christianity. Look at his greeting. It is, he introduces himself. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he says, this is who the letter's to, to the Jewish people who have been dispersed abroad. And then here's his whole greeting for them. Greetings. Like he doesn't go into a lot. And then he jumps right into the teaching. He doesn't spend any time talking about side issues. He goes, here's what it looks like in the real world. See, James wasn't interested in what Christianity looks like in a perfect uh, environment, like in the lab. He was interested about what Christianity looked like in the real world, in everyday life. And he was writing to persecuted Jews who had actually spread out from Jerusalem, persecuted Jewish Christians who were actually um, being imprisoned or their property was being possessed or they were sometimes even being put to death. And so he doesn't spend time saying, hey, let me tell you some great academic theological truths. He's like, you're right now being persecuted. You need to know how to live the Christian life in a real world environment. You see, he didn't waste time giving them academic knowledge. He was trying to equip them for a spiritual firefight. He was getting them ready for living hard, a hard life. Now, sometimes as Christians, we sit around and we argue about things that don't really matter. 
When I was in India a few years ago, there were all these uh, Indi Christian Indian pastors who gathered together, and then we'd get together from different denominations and different churches and different groups, and they would come together and pray for people in their country to know Jesus. And I asked them, uh, I got to pray with them a little bit, and I asked them while I was over there, I said, so how do you come together and not debate these little issues or these little disagreements? And they said, Alex, there's way too many people who don't know Jesus for us to waste time discussing things that don't ultimately matter. You see, um, we waste time on academic and theological disagreements and issues because we're not busy, we're not passionate about reaching people, fulfilling the mission of Jesus that he's given us. There's too many people that don't know Jesus for us to squabble over things that don't matter. See, discussing academic details is a luxury of people who aren't busy about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with other people. And I think that learning more about God instead of looking more like God is the great sin of the American church. So James jumps right in with a real-world issue here. He doesn't waste time. He jumps right in and he says, what does Christianity look like when there's trouble in your life? How should the Christian respond when bad things happen? It's easy to come into church and know how you're supposed to act, right, into a service. But how do you act on Monday morning when something bad happens or at 3 a.m.? You know, how do you respond then? And James's answer is unexpected. He says we should respond to unpleasant things with joy. We should choose to count them as joy. That means they, they aren't naturally joy. They aren't things that naturally we would think are joyful. But he says consider them joy because of what they will do in you and through you. And James here gives us a real simple formula for faith. We have no control over the circumstances that come into our life, but we do have control over the responses to our circumstances. And he says, so when something bad comes into your life, think about what God's going to produce in you through this situation. James says we can find joy in difficult situations not because the situation isn't hard or painful. It is. That's the definition of a hard situation. But because we know that God never wastes pain. He says that's why we can be joyful because we know God will never waste something unpleasant or difficult or painful. See, James argues that difficulties build our endurance. They increase our capacity to trust God. We're able to trust God farther and deeper than we ever have before. The end result is we've become more spiritually mature people. The most spiritual person in this room is not the person who can read the Bible in the original languages of Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek. The most spiritual person in this room is not the person who gives the most to the, uh, to the church or gives the most to the poor. He's, the most spiritual person in the room is the person who trusts God the most. If we trust God, we will obey him. All these other things will be taken care of. The most spiritual person in the room, not the person who can recite the most Bible verses or the person who can stand up and say, I've told this many people about Jesus. The most spiritual person in the room trusts God the most. Now, do you remember that movie Disney's Aladdin? I mean, you've seen Disney's Aladdin? It's a classic Disney film, animated film. And all throughout it, Aladdin like reaches down to Jasmine, and he's always like, do you trust me? That's kind of like his, his, his big quote throughout the movie, and that's how she identifies him. And he's not a real trustworthy guy. He lies to her through most of the movie. He's always stealing stuff. I mean, he's not a good person to trust. You know, um, If we were Jasmine's friends, we'd be like, don't trust him. He's a bad dude. You know, It works out in the end. But when God reaches down, when Jesus reaches down to you and says, do you trust me, there's holes in his hands, right, where he's been nailed to the cross. 
You can trust him because he's willing to go to extreme lengths to do what's best for us, even if it means absorbing incredible loss to himself to help take care of us. And James explains here what God always wants to produce in us is spiritual growth. He encourages us to ask for spiritual growth. He says, ask for wisdom if you don't have wisdom. God wants to give you spiritual growth. God wants to spiritually grow you. If God gives you something physical, well, that will only last until it wears out or it's used up. But if he gives you something spiritual, if he produces something inside of you, that's forever. Many times we want things that make us feel good instead of things that actually make us good. And God always wants to make us good, make us more like him. In James 4.3, we're going to get to this as we get farther into our James study. But it says, you ask and you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives. You ask so that you can spend it on your pleasures. How often are the things that we ask for not for our spiritual good, but for our physical comfort? Isn't that the tendency of our request to God? We pray and we're like, I really want this. It'll make my life easier. God doesn't want to make your life easier. He wants to make you stronger. He wants to make you deeper. He wants to make you more spiritually mature. Now, Samoas are the best cookie in the world. Have you had Samoas? There's these little uh, peddlers. They wear these little outfits, and they go out, and they hustle these Samoa cookies on the street corners. And, um, and they take so much of my money. They really do. And they're adorable. You know, They wear their little sashes, and they're like, do you want some of these cookies? And I'm walking out of a grocery store, and I just spent $100 on groceries, but I'm like, yes, I do want those cookies. Take my money, please. And they, they just they crop up all over the place. Just when you think, I'm going to go on a diet, all of a sudden, Girl Scouts pop up and start selling you cookies. Um, but Samoans are the best cookie in the world, and I love Samoa cookies. And sometimes I eat a whole package at a time. I'm sorry, I shouldn't, but I do. And every once in a while, there'll be one cookie left, and my wife, Darby, um, I know the nice husbandly thing to do is be like, do you want the last cookie? You know, right? But in my heart, I'm like, please say no. Please say no so I can eat the last cookie because I love Samoa cookies. And sometimes she says, yes, I do want the last cookie. And she eats it, and I'm like, oh, man, I wish I had that. And I give it up, but I give it grudgingly, right? I really don't want to give it up. It says here that James says that God always produces spiritual good in us. If we ask for spiritual growth and spiritual change, it says he gives it generously and ungrudgingly. That means he's not like, okay, I'll give it, but I really didn't want to. That means God is waiting on the edge of his throne in heaven, excited about you asking about spiritual growth and change. He wants to produce that in you. He wants to do that. You know who tends not to be excited about spiritual growth and change? Us. God is always excited about making you a better person by changing you from the inside out. And next, you'll notice James addresses here doubt. And you're like, why is he talking about doubt here? And we've talked about doubt. I've talked about doubt um, in our sermon series before. God doesn't just allow doubts in the Christian faith. He loves doubters. Remember one of his best friends when he was here on earth, one of the 12 disciples, was named Thomas. And he was nicknamed the doubter. Like one of Jesus' closest friends was a doubter. And so... James here isn't describing someone who wavers between um, believing in God and not believing God and having these doubts and issues. God's never afraid of your doubts. He's big enough to take your doubts and help you find confidence in him. 
But what James is describing is someone who wavers between pursuing physical comfort and spiritual growth. What James is talking about is someone who says, yeah, I want spiritual change, Lord Jesus. But then what they do is they run in the opposite of spiritual change. They physically take steps away from the spiritual change that God wants to produce in them. Sometimes we ask for spiritual growth, but then we change our mind and we're like, well, that's going to be too difficult. So I think I'll just head for physical comfort instead. Don't be surprised if you say, Lord Jesus, teach me wisdom, and then you avoid praying, you avoid reading scripture, you avoid learning from wise people, and you wonder why you haven't seen spiritual change. See, what James talks about is, yes, God does the spiritual heavy lifting in our lives, but we need to align ourselves with what he wants to do and not resist it or fight against it. James absolutely teaches grace. All throughout his book, he talks about how only God can save us. If Jesus Christ hadn't died on the cross, none of us could be saved because none of us can be good enough on our own. But what he talks about is many times after we say we become believers in Jesus Christ, we actively do things in conflict with the spiritual change and growth that God wants to do in our lives. And so James is all about aligning us with what Jesus is doing on the inside to maximize the spiritual change he wants to produce in us and through us. We have a responsibility to respond to the grace that God offers us. You don't sit on the couch and say, pray and say, Lord Jesus, please reveal yourself to people. I hope people hear about you. No, you pray and say, God, give me opportunities to talk about you. And then you go out and you talk to people. You don't leave your Bible on the shelf and say, God, please speak to me. Open up your Bible. He wants to speak to you. James is all about having people align their practical, everyday actions um, with the work that Jesus is already doing in us and through us. See, James isn't a thought and prayers guy. You know, have you ever had this? You're like, hey, I just found out I have cancer, and somebody's like, I'll be thinking about you. I'll be praying for you. And you're like, well, thanks. You know, but I've got this uh, chemo treatment bill I can't pay. You know, maybe you could help out with that, or maybe you could come visit me in the hospital. You know, so James wants to put some feet onto our words. He wants to put some hands behind our thoughts so that we actually are active about what we're saying. See, Jesus is already at work in your life and in my life and in our community, and, but he wants us to join him. He doesn't need us to join him, but he asks us to join him. In his sovereignty, he chooses to work where we choose to partner with him. And so in conclusion, what do we take away from this? What kind of questions should we be asking? First of all, what spiritual growth is God producing in you right now? Think about that. What, where has God been growing you spiritually? For me, I've been reminded over and over again over the last few weeks that I am loved by Jesus. Not because I've done good things. That's not why he loves me. He loves me because he is good, because he loves. He chose to love me. Um, I'm not loved because I've had success. I'm not loved because I've avoided failure. I'm loved because he loves me regardless of what I do or who I am. And so I've been reminded of that. That's something for me because many times I feel like I have to earn God's love, right? I think a lot of us fall into that. He loves us regardless. And so that's an area where God's been spiritually growing me. Think about where God's been spiritually growing you and then think about how can I lean into that change instead of resisting it. For me, I'm rereading some books about God's love just to remind myself because I love to read you may hate to read, but there may be another way where you can lean into what God is spiritually growing or teaching you. Number two, what potentially unpleasant circumstance are you facing right now 
And how might God use that to spiritually mature you? Start to reframe the difficult or unpleasant situation you're facing right now and think, how is God using this? What is he trying to teach me through this? Because God never wastes pain. He never lets pain come into your life and then says, well, you know what? I'm not going to do anything with that. Every time he lets pain into our life, he's going to use it to spiritually mature us. Uh, and then finally, where is Jesus already working in your community, neighborhood, or workplace? Find out how you can jump in and get involved there. Jesus is at work all around us, and many times we just kind of huddle down into our little spaces, and we're like, keep up the good work out there, Jesus. He's excited about us coming and joining in what he's already doing. So, now, it's not always easy to think about how do I implement practical Christianity in my everyday life. That's what we're going to be talking about as we do this series in James. What does it look like in everyday life to be a Christian? Um, I recently read this book. It's called Surprise the World by Michael Frost. I'm going to be sharing some things about it, um, from it, actually, in our series as we go on. I like this book so much, I bought several copies, and they're over here at the Connect table. If you want to take a copy of this and say, what does it look like for me just to live as a follower of Jesus in everyday life? Pick this up. It's only 100 pages. It's a relatively short, easy read book, and um, I'll also be talking about it in our series. So our Sunday service is about to end. But practical Christianity is just beginning because it doesn't happen here. It happens out there, and that's where we're going. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you rescued us from ourselves because we could never reach you on our own, but you offer free salvation to all who call out on the name of Jesus. But God, I'm thankful that you just didn't save us to sit. You saved us to begin to share with others and to begin to reflect your good changes that you want to produce in this world, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. Lord, I pray that you will make us people who don't just believe that you are God, but we live like you're God. We love like you are God. And Lord, I pray that we won't just forget these words, but we'll remember them throughout the week, and we truly will be practical Christians, putting our hands and feet to work for your name and your glory. Amen. So we're going to end with some announcements. So, first up, on your table is a connection card, and we would love for you to fill this out. If you would like to fill this out and just give us your information, that way we can keep you up to date uh, with anything that we're doing or when we're meeting and what's going on. Um, if you can fill that out, and then when you leave, you can drop it over here in this orange bucket on your way out. If you would like to give to Horizon Community Church, you can throw it inside that connection card as well. And if we have your information before, you don't have to completely fill it out if you're just giving. You can just put your name on there so we make sure uh, we have a record of your giving. Um, if you would like to give, you can give right now, or you can just walk up after the service. I'm actually going to put my name right now. But you are also welcome to just uh, put something in on your way out. Or you can give online at our website, horizonphilly.com backslash give. And our next slide I'm really excited about. I hate setting an alarm on Sunday mornings. I don't, I don't know who else does, but I do. We're switching to Sunday night services from 5 to 6. And so you will never have to set a Sunday morning alarm ever again if you come to Horizon. That's going to be our new tagline. Don't say What? Oh, okay, yeah, don't say ever again. You never know what's going to happen. Exactly. Okay. For the time being, you won't have to set... That's a good word, Jenny. Um, for the time being, you won't have to set a morning alarm. We're going to be meeting in the evenings from 5 to 6. 
on Sunday nights. And that leads directly into our next slide. We're meeting at a new space. And so we're going to have one service uh, to test out the new space on March 18th at our new time, 5 p.m. And we're going to start meeting at The Rock on 19 East Eagle Road in Havertown, PA. So just about probably five, six minutes um, over that direction. And a uh, nice, easy ride. And there's parking out back. And we're going to try it out on the March 18th date. And then we're going to actually start weekly services um, after that um, on April 1st. So our next big thing that we have coming up is a community Easter egg hunt in Bryn Mawr. We're working with the Bryn Mawr Business Association. It's going to be March 31st from 10 to noon. Um, so we're going to need some prepackaged candy. And we're going to buy some eggs. We're going to try to have a live rabbit there. We're going to have face painting and balloon animals. And so we need lots of help to pull this off. And so we would love for you to be involved in that, uh, helping us plan it, helping us put it together, helping us make it a reality. And so um, they're actually hoping, they're expecting for over 100 people. Um, I don't know how many will be there, but I'm excited to be a part of that. And I'm glad that we have that partnership there. So our next slide is celebrate Easter with us on April 1st at 5 p.m. This will be our first weekly service. After this, we'll just be meeting every week at our new space from 5 to 6 p.m. So you have a card out there on your table, and normally we give out cards to remind you to come to the next service because we've just been meeting once a month. This card is not for you, though. This card is for you to put in the hands of someone else. So what I want you to do is take one card, give it to somebody, and invite them to our Easter service. Say, hey, will you celebrate Easter with me? And I know that sounds scary. It's not scary. So we had a guy in our apartment who came by, and uh, the landlord called him in to do some work. So I started chatting with him, offered him coffee, talked to him about his life. And when he went to leave, I said, hey, man, would, I'd love for you to come to our Easter service. And he goes, thank you so much. He was really touched that someone invited him to their church service, to an Easter service. And so he took that and was reading it. He was real excited about it. It's very easy to say, hey, would you come to our Easter service? Most people are nice enough to take it, and they might throw it away, but they're nice enough to take it to your face. I've had very few people ever say, no, get that away from me. Most people are pretty nice about it, especially in Easter service. A lot of people go to church on Easter. It's a great time. If you say, Alex, one isn't enough. I want to give out three or five. That's awesome. Do that. But I think everybody can give out one. And if you give out one, and you say, that was fun, I want to give out another one, let's do it. If you've got relationships somewhere, if you're like, I'm always in Wawa, we're always, we live next to the Bryn Mawr Wawa, <laughs> so we're in there pretty much every day, they know us in there. So that makes it really easy for me to be like, um, man, I forgot her name now, Danielle. Danielle, because I see her every day, and I'm like, hey, Danielle, can I give you this invite? And she knows me, we have a relationship. So if you have a relationship with your mailman, with your coworkers, wherever, Let's share these cards and get those uh, in the hands of people. So we're going to actually just pray for a minute. And I'm going to ask that Jesus just gives you a name of someone that you can put this card in their hand. Okay? Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunities you've given me uh, to hand out some cards. And Lord, I pray that you will put a name in my mind and a name in these um, people's minds to share an invite to our Easter service with. And Lord, I pray that you will encourage them and excite them about sharing the news about our new space and our new weekly meeting and that you'll get these cards into people's hands and that you'll draw people to yourself as we talk about you and about your life-changing gospel. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ.
And then as we go on throughout the month, we'll have some other ways where you can share as well. We'll have a, we'll have a social media uh, uh, posts that you can kind of share with your friends and with your contacts. We'll have something you can share on your phone with your contact list and your emails. And then we'll also have some signs and things that you can put up as well so that we hype up our big weekly launch. Um, finally, so normally we have a Sunday night small group. That We're not going to have that tonight. Instead, we're going to have a lunch after church. So if you want to have lunch with us, we're going to go over to Panera in Ardmore, just down the street here. And um, we'd love for you to have lunch with us. Thank you so much for being here, and have a great week.